0: On today's show, we are joined by Mark Michelson, chairman of the Asia CEO Forum, IMA Asia. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. And by Ben Luck, senior multi-asset strategist at State Street Global Markets. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, both. So I think we'll start, I mean, there's quite a bit to talk about today, but let's start with the US. Um, The job numbers on Friday, which kind of were a bit mixed, um, but then we also had uh, Michelle Bayman of the Fed coming out on the weekend and stating that they will she thinks there should be another rate rise so where do you think we're heading on the rate Mark we'll start with you
1: well I I think what's been said seems to be the the position see what my my friend says but uh, I think rates are going to go up at least one more time but then by next year we may see may see a downturn but what's interesting is that the economy doesn't matter politically or at least not yet it seems that Those who tend to be favorable toward the Biden administration think that's great news. And no matter what happens, even though all the numbers are up, it looks like people are doing much better. They don't feel like they're doing that. Until that changes, it's going to be a very difficult situation in the U.S., I think. And it'll affect the rest of us, too.
0: Ben?
2: Yeah, I think that the the data, to your point, was a little bit more mixed, I think, um, when you actually look at it just from face value. Numbers were lower, but wages were higher. And obviously, because of this mixed report, pricing in terms of the September rate hike is still at around 40 to 45 percent so nothing has really changed. Again I think near term uh, I still expect inflation to trend a little higher given what we're seeing on the underlying growth story which is still quite buoyant. I think the earnings season also indicates that a lot of the um, overall stories that came through the results were, were positive guidance was also positive in a way that it wasn't all about cost cutting there was obviously still quite a good demand story coming out from U.S. corporates. So I think um, there is still going to be one more rate hike to come through, um, possibly um, in September or by the end of the year. But I think what is more important is pricing out of those rate cuts that's actually being priced in right now, which is at um, five rate cuts next year. I think that's still over-optimistic, given the strength of the U.S. economy. So that to us basically means that I think there's still a a little bit more room to go for the dollar, for U.S. yields to go higher, and and, and it's still an area where we need to stay cautious given the the current dynamics that we're seeing in the U.S.
0: Yeah, I think it's quite interesting because I think the (laughs) Fed have been very, very clear over the fact rate cuts are not happening very soon, and it'll be over a year before they even contemplate rate cuts. And yet the markets are trying to price in the rate cuts. Is that the market's trying to be overly... Hopeful, I guess is the word, um, because I think when we look at it, the numbers, while they're tapering off a bit, they're not weak, as, as he's just said. So what's, what? why is the market pricing these rate cuts in?
2: Yeah, I think... Um there's two, there's two factors into this, I think. One is that everybody is looking at inflation from a, a, a base effect standpoint, which is very clear that we are off the peak, meaning that um, in terms of uh, annual growth number that we're seeing in inflation, by the end of the year, our forecast could be coming back down to, to 3 or 3.5%. Three That's obviously much lower than what we see last year, which was somewhere at around 6 7% in terms of the, the, the year end rate. Um, But the issue is the the Fed's long-term mandate is still at 2%. So we're still, I mean, twice as twice higher in terms of what we're seeing versus what the long term average is. So I still think that is a, is a threat for the market, but it, I mean when in comparison it obviously looks much better comparing to last year. And the second thing is I think what you are seeing from the numbers and least from the labor market side is again it's falling. The numbers in terms of payrolls have actually disappointed by two consecutive months already, but we, we should actually transition away just not from the numbers, but actually looking also at the wages. And wages are still persistently strong, and that's really going to be the driver when U.S. is a consumption-based economy. If, if, and if that's going to hold up, I think the Fed is in a very difficult position not to, not to actually stop any time soon, uh, assuming that those numbers will actually feed through to a better GDP number, at least in the second half.
1: Yeah, I'm afraid Ben's right. (laughs) Unfortunately, uh, it it doesn't look too hopeful in the short term. And again, people are feeling this unevenly, right? Gas prices, petrol prices are up again. Not by a lot. And of course, compared with last year, they're much lower. But that's not the impact, right? That's not the impact. And does that affect consumer spending? Does that affect consumer confidence and all those other factors? So it still seems a little unstable.
0: Yeah, I mean, as I said, consumers kind of also coming up with mixed signals in the sense, like you said, in terms of jobs numbers, they're great; wage growth is good. Slight, start seeing a little bit of tapering off in terms of maybe retail sales compared to what they were. Um, But overall, when you look at the health of the U.S. economy, it is looking pretty healthy. Um, But at the same time, I think if we're looking at the inflation numbers itself, they're coming down, and if we're going to use that as a guide to interest rates. that is it necessary to even do the next rate like or do we just why don't they just take a pause see the medium-term effect over the next few months and then maybe try and continue it later in the year But that
1: it might know. happen yeah. it might happen it has been just said it might be later this year yeah. and so i i think they're <laughs> I think they're monitoring it very closely and they cl- clearly think as as was just mentioned that inflation is still there or there are worries about it so they're not ready to move very quickly and to, uh, to lower rates yet.
0: But it's benefit. I mean, I know US generally are not savers or Americans are not generally savers, but it does benefit the savers. It, den- it benefits companies with cash piles. Yeah. And we've seen that with Berkshire Hathaway results. And, you know, 150, US dollar, 150 billion US dollars in cash, that's earning interest now, um, which pro- before they weren't. So, I mean, companies themselves are also benefiting from or some companies or the good ones. So I think that's got to filter through as well. Uh, ben, do you have any thoughts on all of that?
2: Yeah, I think, I think if you look at the so far, I think the, the, the quarter to date earnings season, what you are seeing is, to your earlier point, cash rich firms are, are clearly all still benefiting from this higher interest rate environment. Now, um, that, that's not obviously just Berkshire Hathaway being one of them, but a lot of the tech firms or communication firms out there are still very, very cash rich. and. They, that's why they have the ability to continue to do share buybacks, so to, to basically theoretically support their their, their share price at least in, in in the near term. Whereas if you are a lot more dependent on, let's say, consumer staples or basically necessity um, items, those are the things that are going to be clearly impacted by higher prices right now, and obviously that means lower margins at least in the in in the near term. So I think what the what our focus is on in terms of the strategy is very simple. We we want to just focus on quality earnings, quality balance sheet, at least at this time. And there's still a, a lot more of a decent story, at least in, in many parts of the U.S., in particular in, in the tech space, where you still get that very, very good uh, quality uh, uh, earnings growth number that's coming through. Guidance are steady, but yet they still have a lot of cash at hand to actually benefit from this higher interest rate environment. Yeah
1: and i was just I was just in Tokyo last week, and warren buffett 's making the front page of the Japanese newspapers, not just because of those er- earnings but because some of those earnings will be invested in Japan again, which is which they see as a as quite a positive sign
0: well why don 't we segue into Asia then? Um, we can looking to China um, I guess that 's the easiest place to start another proposal that came out last week, and this time in terms of trying to get foreign business. Uh, people in, across and by loosening some of the visa requirements, having like uh, some of the villages m- being allowed to move to the big cities, um, and trying to get the migration started moving again—is—is is enough being done? I mean, at the moment, it seems it's all a lot of rhetoric, but not a, a lot of concrete proposals. But is enough being done?
1: The devil's in the details again. Uh, it's 26 points. And I could read yeah. them for you, but I think we do—we don't—we don't, <laughs> don't, we don't, don't we have that enough time. time. <laughs> yeah. But you know what was what was what was encouraging. But it's been. It's been an issue before. Is finally loosening the household registration system, the Hukou, the Hukou reforms, which has been talked about for years. The problem, one of the issues, of course, is there's pushback from Shanghai and Beijing, saying we don't want to pay these bills for for uh, for health care and for housing and for all those sort of things. Obviously, that's a direct impact on on consumer spending, which is really important to people. So that's that's part of it. Certainly, these these moves. Are, are encouraging, but again, we aren't exactly sure of the detail. And of course, it, it differs depending on what the company is and, and what they've done uh, in China and what the, what the Chinese government might have think they've done.
2: Yeah, I think exactly to Ninh's point. I mean, the devil's in the details. And for now, I mean, it's all about expectations that things are gonna improve. But when you actually look at structural um, uh, a press release that are coming through or actual policies that are being implemented, it's still, I would say, very, very weak in terms of what the Chinese government is is trying to to actually do in order to stimulate the economy. Now, there has actually been, been good news coming through, I think, I mean, the first, obviously, coming from a uh, uh, much stronger daily fixing coming through every single day from the PBOC to really try to alleviate, I guess, the pressure of a, of a weakening revenue. And hopefully that's going to drive more capital flows uh, back into China. But but I think in, in the near term, it's really going to revolve around how they can actually support or, or stabilize the property sector. That remains to be the biggest risk in, in our minds, given that a lot of developers are are really i mean to our earlier point we want to focus on things that have cash and the property sector right now is very very low on cash and they don 't have the ability to to finish a lot of those unfinished properties and, and actually hand those properties to the to the buyers and, and that remains to be a, a big risk because a lot of Chinese households are uh, property holders as opposed to the u s where a lot of them are obviously equity holders so that remains to be a biggest risk although they are trying to do more instead of uh, in terms of stimulating, trying to do more in terms of lower mortgage rates. But I think it's really going to rely on helping the developers first because that's really where the most trouble comes in. And maybe they can actually diversify some of those risks away from the sector and into actually the banks or the financials that can actually help alleviate some of those stress and actually make them a, a better firm going forward and actually deliver those properties. And, and, and maybe that can actually lift the household wealth effect. But for now, it's really been high expectations, but actually uh, low results that, that we're seeing in China.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's, a, that's exactly a key area. From an international company standpoint, one of the things the statement mentioned was bold initiatives uh to for the free movement of people, vehicles, information and data. Obviously people and, and vehicles are important. Information and data are key issues and they're very important. And if there are signs that there's going to be at least little clearer policies in those areas, that would be attractive to international companies and investors as well, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean I- we were looking at, if you look at the policies, it does seem to be trying to help some of the consumers start going back, but a lot of that's going to come down to consumer confidence. and. I I don't know how confident the consumers are, but given the news that they're trying to say don't report negative stuff, it makes me think people are not too confident at the moment. They don't want to shatter that confidence even more.
1: Yeah, I've talked about this before. It's long COVID. Again, it's, it's not the medical variety, but it's, it's it's a confidence that's affecting everybody. And then, you know, the housing, education, education. Uh, those kind of health care, those kind of costs are are still important to people, and they aren't sure where they're going to get those from, many of them.
2: Ben, do you have anything? Yeah, I think, I mean – the biggest concern that we have seen over the last few years was this persistent regulatory crackdown that China has really placed on, to Neen's point earlier, first on education, then it was health care, then it was the tech. I think what we need to see from China is that they can really now emphasize to the rest of the world that growth is their priority or income or um, moving out of the middle income trap is, is, is their priority because – if you don't do what you want to do, which is obviously long-term sustainable growth, then you aren't going to attract foreign capital into basically the country. And and right now, that remains to be a, a very, very weak story, because with all the U.S., China, Taiwan politics, you are starting to see manufacturing slowly moving out of China already. And and, and, and the fact that there are a much more countries out there in, in Asia that are obviously lower cost and obviously not pushing towards higher efficiency, that transition out of, I would say, middle-income China into lower-income Southeast Asia, that could continue. And if they can't really try to boost confidence and actually be a a major player, let's say, in in the high-value or high-tech cycle, then there is not going to be that persistent capital info story. And if you don't have that, then you need to rely on yourself. But relying on yourself is often very difficult for a relatively closed economy where uh, you really need to just basically rely rely on your own money printing or your own QE, but that has not really worked for, for China for, for many years. So I think in order to boost that confidence, they really need to focus on telling the world that growth is their priority and, and they really want to move away from uh, politics, really want to move away from that regulatory crackdown that has been really affecting sentiment for investors like that. Okay, us Ben, sorry, I've got to for, cut for you off because yeah.
0: we've run out of time. I'm really No problem. Well, thank, I would like to thank Mark Michaelson and Ben Luck for coming on today's show. So thank you guys. Um, sorry, I had to cut you off.